Welcome to Mission Critical, a podcast about the big picture, the purpose, and the values that drive today's most game-changing companies, entrepreneurs, and leaders. I'm your host, Lance Chung, Editor-in-Chief of Bay Street Bull, and I'll be introducing you to a group of brilliant minds who are making an impact on the world and forging the path ahead. While they may all be very different from one another, the question remains the same. What's your mission? Take a moment from whatever you're doing right now, whether that's having breakfast, working at your desk, or cooking dinner, and take a look at the world around you. What do you see? What kind of buildings do you find yourself surrounded by? What kind of building are you in? In its own unique way, architectural design is like a language. There's a lot that we can learn about ourselves and the society we're a part of simply by observing the structures around us. I've always thought of food as a vessel for culture in the way it speaks to how we break bread, build bonds, and value each other. In much the same way, I think architecture does the same thing. It tells us about what we value as a society, how we gather and migrate throughout the day, how we work, how sustainable we are, and more. It's a snapshot of culture, our history, and our future. On the podcast today, we have world-renowned architect Jeannie Gay the founding principal and partner of the award-winning Studio Gang. Jeannie is also a professor in practice at the Harvard Graduate School of Design and was named one of 2019's most influential people in the world by Time Magazine. Based in Chicago, the birthplace of the skyscraper, Jeannie's work is recognized for its forward approach to design that draws inspiration from ecological systems, connecting people with their communities and environments. She's a changemaker that has championed social impact strategies to improve ecological biodiversity in cities and close the gender wage gap within our industry. Today, Jeannie joins me to talk about great design, using architecture as a force for social change, and her first project in Canada, One Delisle. Hi, Jeannie. Hello. It's so nice to be chatting. Yeah. First meeting of the day. <laughs> so let's start off with, you know, what do you think makes a great design experience, whether that's architecture, whether that's product at the, you know, from a very like bird's eye view, what is a great design experience mean to you? One, one quality of it, I think, is where it's so responding to your needs and desires so closely that you kind of don't even notice the design in a certain way. Right. Um, so that's really important in terms of its functionality and generosity of the design so that it's really something that's giving you what you need at that moment. One of the reasons why we often start, you know, from the inside out with the building, thinking about how people move, how do they, what do they need? How are they approaching? What's the experience from, you know, your arrival to your departure? And, and I think that's really important. Um, also, yeah, design experiences, where there is an aesthetic element to it as well, where, of course, where um, a kind of a rethinking, I'm thinking of um, zooming out, thinking of industrial design, where you have um, something is reconsidered in a way that is calls your attention right. to it. Right. Um, that, that works for architecture too, you know, like something that is maybe ordinary, but 
becomes extraordinary. In your line of work specifically, and in the uh, work that you do at Studio Gang, what guides your approach to everything that you do? What is your overarching design thesis? First of all, it's like, I'm really attracted to projects where there's an organization, you know, it could be an organization of one, or it could be an organization of a group of people that are trying to redefine themselves and they have put their trust in design to do that. So, you know, we work with cultural institutions, we work with communities, um, they're trying to, you know, solve issues or become something different. And the philosophy is, you know, to get into their brain and everyone that they are engaging with and to kind of, in a way, you know, take on their become part of their team, become one with the client somehow right. to un- really try to deeply understand what they're working on. Right. It's not, it's not always a problem. Sometimes and a lot of times it is a problem, but it's not always a problem. It, it's sometimes um, it could be a reinvention because of a change in their philosophy. It's not, it's not mm-hmm. necessarily a problem, but it's really um, going in a new direction. Those are the kind of things that I'm, attracted to. Um, and I think we can do well because of our research, because of our compassion and love of learning, you know, not dictating the design and letting it grow out of the individual um, organization so that it's relevant for them. Yeah, that's really interesting. Well, I mean, I guess like what part of your experience when you're working with new clients or approaching a new project is, you know, obviously built on your experience and your expertise, but then what part of that is also a learning experience and a discovery experience for you? There's always that element because what I like is um, also crossing over in disciplines like, you know, something from hospitality projects like a hotel can inform something like a museum project, for example, Mm. and vice versa. So that's why I really like working on different projects. So I've got a lot of um, our team is deep experience and deep, um, you know, with lots of different building types um, and they all have their particularities, but there's a lot of that can be shared. So you bring, bring that to the table there it is, but then, you know, each project, there's some kind of new um, shade of difference that I'm trying to, you know, kind of like pull out and to understand so that it can be bespoke to that organization. Yeah. Now I was reading some of the, you know, the stuff on the website and everything. And I noticed, you know, you stated previously that quote, most people think architects design buildings and cities, but what we design are relationships end quote. So can you unpack that? Uh, what does that mean? And, and um, you know, how do I guess buildings and structures facilitate meaningful relationships and dialogue. Right. It's so true because we don't see buildings in isolation and and people in isolation, right? So how can it facilitate better relationships, stronger relationships? And in that sense, I always see architecture kind of like the study of ecology, which arose, you know, everyone used to study uh, species individually you know, like everything mm-hmm. that this species eats and drinks and does. But ecologists look at the relationships between the species and their environment, their habitat. As an ecosystem. Yeah. Yeah. And that's what architecture is too, because we are really just creating habitat, right? And so we need to understand how people 
relate and how they behave in different environments. Um, and you can pull out the behaviors that you want, you know, like making the space social, making it encourage dialogue and mm -hmm. design wise, maybe it has to do with um, having people let down their guard. How do they feel like more relaxed? How do they feel cared for in a space? Like I said, you know, like when the person feels like he needs to sit down, there should be this benches right there, you know, like yeah. those are the things that, how do we create space in museums that can get people to, instead of feeling like they're maybe like receiving information all the time, just so that they can contemplate, think and have dialogue with someone else that they're with. How do we weave that into museum spaces, for example, to make stronger relationships. And it is known that people learn more from their directly from their friends and family than they will from reading a text on a wall. So we want to give those spaces um, to people to talk about what they yeah. just saw and then it will sink in and what, yeah, and they will have more original thoughts. Yeah. And I was reading, you know, one of the guiding principles behind your work is what you call actionable idealism. What is that? I came up with that because it's really the the why why do we you know do what we do the way that we do it i think there are a lot more firms now more more designers that are activists and and that's great and i love that but i was always feeling like you know i was doing projects people would say why are you doing that like why are you doing research on the chicago river why are you you know what does that have to do with architecture but i do it because I care about those things and that and so that actionable idealism is really about you know being idealistic we we know we can we want to improve our environments and our world and our and the things that are not working um and i think it's possible and action is about actionable is like taking on the pieces that can start to make change happen those are design pieces those are they could be small, they could be large. They're, you know, we're looking for those places where we can have an impact. Right. And so it doesn't stay in like, you know, a book somewhere on a shelf, but it is like a master plan, for example, you know, that might get done and then not implemented. So like, what are the things that can initiate change? Oftentimes those could be small architecture projects that are part of a bigger plan. You know what I mean? Like, um, it just starts the ball rolling. Now, you've also stated previously that the philosophy around actionable idealism requires, quote, a relentless kind of optimism, determination, and even courage, which I find that really interesting. Why is that so? And how does something like optimism manifest in architectural design? Yeah, I think, well, to build, one needs to be optimistic because no one wants to continue to work at something that's not going to happen, I don't think, right? Like we want we want to see things happening. So you have to believe that it, it can happen. Finding the ways to, to help that along. One of the things that's a real true ingredient is getting, you know, more people to support 
a project or an idea. And, and the way that we like to do that is to include others in the process, include, include people in the design process and be open to that. And it's not, you know, a designer sitting up in a tower somewhere, you know, like, yeah, it's really on the ground, you know, mobilizing people to it, engaging with them and, you know, getting their ideas and, and integrating other yeah. people's ideas into the work. Because oftentimes with like neighborhoods, uh, communities, the people who live there really know what they need best. And so we might be called in to create a plan, but we can't do it alone. And I, I feel that that's the same for almost all architecture that's created. It's um, needs to be engaging with the communities that will use it. And that, that helps to get support and it all works toward, you know, getting a project done and, and you have to be optimistic. Especially today. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, and I do think that I know there's plenty of problems aren't there, you know, like over this last year, um, we've really doubled down on our internally on our, uh, how we're working with environment, how we're working to reduce embodied carbon in our buildings, like getting spreading that knowledge out throughout our entire office. So everyone working on it um, from, you know, the big scale stuff down to the detail has that in mind. And as well as working on, you know, equity action and how can we be bring that into all of our work and yeah, and I think um, you know architecture seems like very much like a vessel for tackling issues that are a part of the bigger picture, especially when it comes to um, the environment. There's a lot of things happening in that space, and um, we talk a lot about how buildings are built and planned from an ecosystem kind of point of view um, and a holistic point of view where you're consulting with the community to make sure that there is an impact when buildings are are um, built. So I guess that kind of really contributes to a larger question around, you know, what kind of responsibility do you think architects have to their communities that go beyond adding to a skyline? How can architects use their talents and their expertise as a force for positive social hmm. change. The thing is, I, I think about these in terms of these, these scales radiating out from the individual responsibility of, of just knowing how to design something that is not bad for the environment. So that like that, those are things that we can do to self-educate, learn, get qualified to uh, design for that. And it, there's plenty, plenty of opportunities and that's number one responsibility. And then it moves out from there. So like you said, communities, I think a lot of um, architects have the talent to help people visualize things that are coming and they can participate with their communities as citizens, but be very useful because of the way that we can make people understand things through visualizations. Um, so I know a lot of architects that work in their communities, just, you know, going to a, a public meeting or being part of a group that's wanting to improve something, change something in your local and your friends and family. And then, you know, it goes out from there, like our buildings, of course, are related to much bigger areas 
and it goes out from there. We can work on cities. We can work on even environments that are bigger than cities. Like uh, we, I'm really interested in the oceans and ocean health. And we recently worked on a exhibition. So again, visualization for an exhibition about cetaceans and mm. how they are work in society. So yeah, you're, the design expertise can come into so many areas that matter to the planet. So now you have a very exciting new project, your first project in Canada coming up. And before we talk about Wondalia, what is your first impression of Canadian cities and how we approach architectural design in general from your experience? Well, I, all the, the cities are pretty different, right? I mean... Yes, vastly. <laughs> yeah. If we wanted to think about cities just in terms of a gradient from along the, the Great Lakes to the Atlantic, that section that's big anyway, but there's even a difference there between you know the the Midwest and the Toronto city of Toronto and similar to Chicago, you know along the right. Great Lakes, and then it kind of gets more related to Europe as you go further <laughs> to the east. Yeah. So I think Toronto is so interesting because it is like this kind of you know sibling of Chicago. To me, it feels very very hip and with a cool vibe and very like a young city in terms of the people that are there. I just think it's, um, I love it, you know, probably yeah. because I'm from Chicago, but you know, it, it always feels like a little bit cooler and a little bit hipper, but you probably think the same about Chicago. I don't know. I love Chicago. I was actually blown away by uh, my first trip to Chicago and just the diversity of architectural design and how everything was so, seemed so mixed in and and just I, I i can't even explain it i was just i went on and i know it's very touristy to do but i went on that riverboat oh, yeah. uh <laughs> architectural tour but i learned a lot and i just thought it was just so interesting and in how everything connects to the history of the city and ties again to our conversation uh larger things that were happening in yeah. society and politics and things like that so um i find that very interesting and, and i do love chicago and the food scene there so i need to make it back as soon as uh, we're out of the woods with everything going on. Uh, no, I think that's the, that's, I find that in common, like if you're from Chicago, you love going to Toronto. If you're in Toronto, you like going to Chicago. So they're really, yeah. you know, like. Very similar. <laughs> yeah, like similar, <laughs> but different, like siblings. Yes, yes exactly. So Wendell Isle is your first project in Canada located in Toronto. How is uh, this project a continuation of your overarching mission and design ethos at Studio Gang? Well, it's really designed for people, uh, you know, like to, first of all, I think the uh, first thing people notice about it is the height. And I know that's sensitive sometimes, but as an, a designer and urbanist, you know, we know that it's better to put people closely connected, closer to transportation networks to reduce uh, climate change. Also to be, make cities walkable and, you know, less reliant on car 
so it makes sense to put taller buildings closer to those um, nodes and one Delisle is like that. Um, so then it becomes, how do you do a taller building that connects people to each other and to their environment? And, you know, I've been very interested in doing that through uh, the social spaces of the building at the base, the balconies network, the way that they let people step outside. And the, this building has that in a, in a very interesting way in that it's protective and it's outside but it's also recognizing the climate and and making it um somewhat protected from winds and some difference differences that people uh, gravitate towards so in a building like that you know you can choose if you want a bigger living room or at, and a smaller balcony or a smaller living room and a bigger balcony, things like that, some choices for people to make. Um, I see it as a socially connected building, one that is very vibrant on the street, on the ground level, with lots of um, transparency and in integrating historical fabric and mm -hmm. pedestrian friendly down yeah. on the ground. And would you say it is a, I guess, a continuation of, you know, the other buildings and projects within your portfolio and the impact that you'd like to have on the, the local community and the why of it all? The why of it for me is really, you know, how do you do, we need taller buildings. We need to, you know, population is, is growing. We need to get people closer to public transport. So tall buildings are, you know, a necessary, they're necessary. And I, I, the first time I designed, you know, I never, I didn't know I would be doing them when I started out in architecture, but um, I got this opportunity with the first building in Chicago, which was the Aqua Tower. Mm -hmm. And where I really started to think about all these qualities that I wanted to bring to the to the tower, to the residential tower anyway, and to the, you know, frankly, for any vertical uh, building, how do you get people connected to the outdoors? How do you get them connected to each other? So those are some of the principles that inform it. However, yeah, the, the design is really, you know, unique to, to there. We work very closely with the city in terms of the um, overall way that it lands in the ground. It's kind of starts out more rectilinear and then it um, becomes more cylindrical toward the top to reduce shadow, overshadow. So there's a lot of considerations that are unique to it, but yes, it fits in. It fits in with you know these points that I'm interested in for tall buildings. Yeah. So I have two more questions, and this is uh, something that I ask in a lot of my interviews because I find it really interesting to see what people's perspectives um, is it is on it. But what do you think is more important in your line of work, progress or perfection? or how are they related to each other? Um, I think in terms of architecture, I think that's an interesting thing to think about just in terms of how we evolve in our line of thinking. But you know, what does perfection even mean in, in your line of work? What, how, how do those two relate to each other? I don't even, I don't think I've ever used the word perfection mm -hmm. in any form. I, I, and so, so it's a great question um, because probably a lot of architects do think about that, but I think of the relationships. I think of the ability for a building to evolve and to accept 
people. So especially with residential buildings, I want people to make it their own, you know, which would mean, you know, if, if it was to be perfect, like, like pure, I guess, you wouldn't want anyone to live there and put stuff on the balcony and, you know, <laughs> so, and a lot of, no, there are buildings that kind of discourage that through their design, discourage the life, you know, the use of it. <laughs> yeah. But I don't think life is imperfect. I think life and variety and living is that's perfect. Right. And yeah. it has so much variety and it's, it's, it's not constrained too much like um but there's some structure to it so that's yeah that's kind of my take on it but i love that question it's <laughs> very interesting it's really interesting to see how people um answer that question across different fields you know whether you're you know working materials innovation for a fashion company or you work at a, a financial technology company and and the just the kind of different perspectives that you have but the overarching consensus seems to be you know progress is always more important than perfection. What is perfection? So um, yeah. I always find it really yeah. interesting. I mean, some people would have said if they knew me in, you know, like how I work, the amount of hours and stuff I work on things to make it the best it can be, that I would be a perfectionist from that viewpoint. But yeah. the aim of it isn't to eliminate these differences. It's really, yeah. Interesting. So last question. I mean, we talk a lot about, you know, in, in the interviews that we have, we really talk a lot about mission driven um, companies about what drives people, what is their purpose and their why. And we've touched on it a few times in this interview. But as a way to round this out, what is the bigger picture for you? What is your mission at the end at the end of the day? Yeah, I think it's um, to make our environment, our built environment, more connected to the natural environment, more learning from the natural environment. And, and why, why? Because this is the way that we, we need to go to have a positive impact on both the climate situation and the social justice. We need to make progress in these areas. And this is my, my talents are in design and, um, and connecting with people. So this is, um, it's my mission. <laughs> so, yeah. It's what I love to do too. It's, you know, frankly, it's like see the change happening, the positive yeah. change. Yeah. It's very fulfilling and it's something we that is needed. Absolutely. Well, thank you so much for the wonderful chat. It's an honor to be chatting with you today. And um, I, I hope we can chat again soon. Thanks, Lance. And I hopefully we'll see you in Toronto once things cool down a little bit. Yes, I can't yeah. wait. Jeannie and her team are changing the world by literally building it around us. Architects like her are drawing blueprints for the future by intersecting the needs of both environment and society at the same time. Through her work, she's challenging us all to look at buildings in a different way, not as mere shelters to live and work in, but as vessels for dialogue and social change. Ecosystems that cultivate community and help us better understand how to exist and thrive together. If you enjoyed this episode, we'd appreciate it if you left a review on Apple Podcasts so we can get the word out. To keep up to date, subscribe to our podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or anywhere else you listen to podcasts. Thanks for tuning in. Until next time, ask yourself, what's your mission?